Watching Podcast. I am the ancient, marvelous Mike Dudley, joined as always by my co-host and younger brother. MD3 Marcus Dudley checking in on you. What's going on out there on Podcast Land? How you doing, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? Can't say uh, busy with work, so give me another answer. How are you? <laughs> What's been going on? Uh, you know, recently turned uh, the big 4-0. So Happy had, birthday. Yep, had that party, and uh, it was fun. Merriment was had by all, so been uh, been focused on that. And uh, yeah, man, just trying to keep the wolves at bay, mostly. Yeah, it's a tough <laughs> act, man. It's t- it's, they're coming no matter what. All the time. Yeah, the reason I said we can't say work is because we ever. I've noticed that like all of our podcasts, we're like, "Hey, what's up?" We're like, "Oh, just working. I'm gonna die soon. I'm just working, <laughs> toil." So, I mean, it doesn't make it not true. Yeah, no, I just yeah, it just made me feel sad after listening to it. I was like, "Goddamn, <laughs> that really is all we do." Anyways, on on, uh, on a other note, uh, what's been going on, man? Like. I guess I'll ask you the uh, million dollar question, the one that everybody tunes in for. Uh, what you been watching, my guy? Let's see. Recently rewatched uh, Hell or High Water with uh, Chris Pine and um, Ben Foster. Yeah. And Jeff uh, Bridges. Jeff Bridges, yeah. Great movie. Uh, modern uptake on the uh, classic cowboy theme. And it was really cool, like... When I say classic, like, all the tropes are there. Like, there's the, the, the relentless sheriff, the the... You know the final shootout with the bad guy. There's, I mean, literally, it's you could set that story in the old west, and the only difference is they drive mustangs instead of ride them. Pretty much. So pretty much. Um, but yeah, it's it's bank know, robberies and yeah, yeah. I mean, short short story is basically two brothers are trying to save their farm from the bank, and so they decide that they're going to go on a bank robbing spree of the chain that's trying to take their house. You know, and so they're going to. Steal the bank from the money. They're going to change it out at the casino, and then buy off their farm, basically. Uh, uh, and yeah, some some shit goes haywire, and as as it always in these kind of things, it goes pear shaped really, really quickly. Yeah. Uh, no, it's written by the uh, who's just incredible at pretty much everything he does, in my opinion. Uh, Taylor Sheridan, mm-hmm. who does Yellowstone, which is like the new Walking Dead in terms of the sense it's like. One of the highest watched cable television programs of yeah. all time. Uh, super really highly acclaimed. Wrote, um, God, what else? He wrote Hell or High Water. He wrote Sicario. Mm-hmm. He directed Wind River and wrote Wind River. Great movie. Yeah. Shout out to Jeremy Renner. Yeah, so he's pretty good at what he does. But no, that movie is brilliant, though, man. Hell or High Water, that's my shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I said, just really, really good modern take on the on the classic cowboy themes it's i mean it's all the tropes are there and you can kind of see them coming a little bit but they pay off like they earn it you know that it's not like they're they're trying to just shoehorn them in or or anything like that and it's really beautifully shot and jeff bridges is just like really dour like brooding like sheriff you know it's it's literally the you know like three days to retirement and i'm gonna catch him before i you know before they send me off to the porch pretty much so. Pretty much. Also, shout out to the lovely who I'm going to go ahead and just do it. Give her the underrated performance of the week, uh, Katie Mixon, who is she plays the waitress in there that oh, give the hundred dollar bill. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, she's like that that money that you call evidence that's going to pay my light bill. So right. yeah, I'm going to go ahead and need that back from you. Right, right, um, right. 
No, she's awesome. She is. She stole that role, and she is also in Eastbound and right. Down yep. as April, and she is wonderful in that show. So you, my friend Katie Mixon, get the underrated performance of the week of the century. We salute you. Yeah, no, she's awesome, man. She, every, every, I'm such a fan of that show of uh, Eastbound and Down. That like, um, kind of like I've said it before. Like anytime Reno nine one one. Or like workaholics. Anytime mm-hmm. I see somebody from that world, I'm like, oh hey, like that's right. that person. Right. That's one right. of my right. friends. Right. Right. So yeah, I always look out for. Her. She was on a sitcom for a while. Basic familiar. Yeah, she was like Mike and Molly or some shit. I like think that. it was. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. one of them. So yeah. she's had a pretty good little career, man. So I mean, good, good for her. She's you know, especially in this movie, like she's so charming and like her. She says so much about her character and just the way she talks and the way she carries herself. It's not even like. The dialogue that she says, it's just she's this really mousy, demure waitress until you try to fuck with her. And then she gets like all types of like neck cranky, snap, you know, sassy. Yeah. But not like, not like played out like, mm-mm. Like, no, 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 no. But like, like you can just tell like she's copping an attitude like right then and there. Like she's, she's wearing all of the emotions on her sleeve. Yeah. Of like, you're not taking this money. We can go about this the easy way or the hard right. way. Right, 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 right. Also, shout out to the other waitress in that movie, the old lady. That oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, we got steak. What, and what don't you want? I've been working here 44 years, and everybody always gets the T-bone steak and the baked potatoes. So what don't you want? The green beans or the corn on the cob? Well, man, I, what don't you want? I don't want no corn on the cob. Yeah. <laughs> green beans for me. It's like, how do you want that done? Medium well. Medium rare. <laughs> One no question. Yeah. And two sweet teas. And she just looks at him and she's like, oh yeah, sweet tea's good for me. Yeah, yeah. we're great. She's awesome She's too. great. That's a lady who has been at her job way too long and is just like, listen guys, I'm trying to turn and burn here. The faster yeah. I can get you assholes fed and out, the more, you know, the quicker I can get another table and go back about, you know, doing the crosswords. Right. No, she's <laughs> awesome. Uh, I will say the performances all around that movie, uh, Hell or High Water, are incredible. Like, yeah. Chris Pine is the shit in that, and Ben Foster is just I mean, incredible. He's great oh in everything God, he does. Ever since he first came on the scene, I want to say it was... Um, X-Men 1. <laughs> was it X-Men? It might have been, actually. I'm trying. That's the first think. time I remember seeing him. I'm sure he had worked before that. That was the first time I remember seeing him. Yeah, as, but as I mean, he was awesome in uh, Alpha Dog. Um God, what else? Oh, 310 to Yuma as like the second yeah. direct to Russell Crowe. Dude, he locks that dude in a carriage and is like, you won't tell me what I want to know or you will burn. Yeah, and, he like, and then he just fucking lights it on fire anyway. Like, thanks. Out. Yeah, he's a real dirtbag. Real real knucklehead. Real rapscallion, that Ben yeah. Foster in that movie. Yeah. No, that's a great movie, though. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. Yeah, yeah. I, that's one of my dad, which I'm sure he'll talk about it when we do get the honor and privilege of having him on the show. I'm sure he'll talk about that movie a, a lot. lot. Yeah. That's, yeah, he's a big Western guy. So, yeah. spoiler alert or teaser for an upcoming episode. <laughs> maybe run down some of his favorite westerns. So, we'll circle back to that one. Uh, what else have you been watching, though, man? I know there's got to be more than that. Let's see. After that, I saw uh, this movie called uh, The Bad Batch. The Star Wars cartoon, or you said a- no, not the Star Wars cartoon. It's uh, it's live action. I, I wish I could remember the director's name. Um, I'm not going to look it up because I'm lazy. It was Mario Van Peebles. It was not Mario Van Peebles. Okay, well, we know who it's not. (laughs) (laughs) But it's got uh, Jason Momoa and um, Sookie Waterhouse. Uh, Let's see, who else is in there? Giovanni Ribisi, Jim Carrey. Wait, Jim Carrey's Uh, in it? Jim Carrey's in it, in a a really surprising role. Like, uh, it took me a long... uh, a long while to realize who he was in the movie because he plays like he's a mute like desert wanderer so he has zero dialogue the entire movie and he's like 
got like scruffy long hair and this big bushy beard. He's all like sun bleat or like like sun tanned and and like looks haggard as shit. Um, yeah, so basically it's it's about it's this uh, dystopian future where they basically just take all undesirables and they put them in like this block in like West, West Texas and just like let them roam free. Like, nope, this is your life now. Just you're caged into this like in you know impenetrable barrier like wasteland and uh keanu reeves plays this uh religious cult leader called the dream oh keanu uh, because when i think of a charismatic cult leader i think keanu reeves yeah i mean yeah for sure yeah uh i mean the movie opens in the first like five minutes with cannibalism so oh nice yeah yeah they fucked this poor girl up man it's pretty bad it's it She's walking around the whole rest of the movie with like one leg and one arm, and it's like she's trying to be a badass in this barren wasteland. It's it's pretty fucked up. Damn. Now I've never even heard of that. It's it's worth a it's worth a, a watch just because it's um it's so odd and so unlike anything. I mean, maybe a little bit of Mad Max, a little bit of uh, Escape from New York, that kind of thing. But I mean, it's it's pretty unlike. A lot of other movies out there. It's, it's it's I can't think of too many ones that kind of tie into it or or that would strike a similar like similar view. Okay, you have to check that one out. No, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix actually, so it's it's okay. definitely worth a look. Okay, well I know another movie that we definitely saw together, but we're gonna circle back to this one. I know we watched Clerks three. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, we did. Um, we're going to come back to that one because we are going to uh, deep dive into that one a little bit. Um, anything else, though, man? Or anything else? Any TV? Mm, been trying to catch up on Sandman. I'm almost done with that. It's I haven't really... wa- oh, yeah. I haven't watched a single one of those. <laughs> How is oh, it, though? How do you dig Sandman? Uh, I really like it. It's, it's sort of like... Uh, it's like... Uh, Every Cure song meets Salvador Dali. That's a pretty cool sell right there. That's a good elevator pitch. Yeah. Uh, it's got a little bit of like H.P. Lovecraft thrown in there. Basically, uh, the Sandman dream, Morpheus, is captured by humans and he's in prison for a hundred years. And basically he goes on this quest to get back his sacred totems. He's got to get his his helmet, his sand, his golden ruby or his, his uh, magical ruby, whatever. And... Uh, he, f- he has to go meet Joanna Constantine. He has to go okay. fight Satan. He nice. has to uh, go meet with Cain and Abel. Okay. To, uh, traverse the dream world and uh, all points in between. And uh, yeah, it's just very, really trippy effects. And like, you can tell Netflix poured some, like a lot, of, a, a lot of salad for this. Okay. Who plays the devil? Uh, Gwendolyn Christie. Uh, she was a uh, Brienne of Tarth from Game of Thrones, which oh. again means nothing to you. But <laughs> no, no, we'll, we're going to circle into that one here in a minute. It's the second part of the portion of this show, the second act. Which yeah, <laughs> so cool, man. Sounds like you're uh, you're enjoying it though. I it's one of those things we've talked about it on the show before, where I really want to get into that comic book and that series. Mm-hmm. And I've again, I kind of tertiarily know it. Right. I know I made that word up just now. No, tertiarily. Yeah, but I kind of know it in my periphery. Um, but not committed as I'd like to be. But I, a, it is a show I want to watch, though, and even read the book, dare I say. But we will never do a What You've Been Reading here. <laughs> never. I will double down on that from the previous episode. I've been reading the back of the cereal box. Exactly. 
Exactly. I made it halfway through the maze. <laughs> anyways. Yeah, so, anyways, doggy style. Uh, what have you been watching, brother? Man, I have been so busy moving in with Angie. She just moved down from Maryland, so Yay. we got a house together, so there's still boxes everywhere. Between that, throwing you a party last Saturday. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. I had a blast. Yeah, no, it was it was a pleasure, man, honestly. Um, I wouldn't want it to go down any other way. Um, doing schoolwork when I can, I have been so busy, um, but... So really not much. I'm going to be very honest with you. It's probably a bad week for me to podcast. I will get into a list of things I have not watched. And this is a new subsection of don't ask Marcus about this shit if you don't know. One, House of the Dragon. Don't ask me. Don't care. Don't know. You say a Stark, I think Tony. Boom. New Rick and Morty. It's out. I love the show. I haven't watched it. When will I do it? I don't know. Andor. Just dropped like Wednesday. There's like three episodes. Couldn't tell you. I know I want to watch it because I just like saying the words Diego Luna. <laughs> dope name. Let's see what Cassie and Endor is all about. Uh, five, Sandman. I don't fucking know about no Sandman. I wrote that as you were talking. And so pretty much don't ask me anything new except about some Clerks 3, which we'll get into once again in a little bit. Uh, I did see all of She-Hulk except for the finale um, that just came out last Thursday and I, I was going to watch it with Angie. No, I think they still have one more. There, is it seven episodes? I or? think so. Okay. Well, I know I saw up to five is all I know. Because so. I know they definitely haven't shown Daredevil yet. So. Oh, and maybe it's more than... Okay. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, either way, I've seen up to episode five, okay, point cool. being. Um, I, I like the show. I'm still on board with that one. Uh, still enjoy where it's going. I think Tatiana Monsley is having a really good time. Um, I'm not, there's not really like a big bad guy. I really yeah. enjoyed the fact that the Wrecking Crew showed up because I hope that they're going to be in like every project moving forward because in the comic books, the Wrecking Crew actually sometimes can be like a real force to like, uh, reckon with. Right. Um, like they fucked up Thor before because so, they have like magically imbued items. But the reason I'm excited about them is they are like the perfect... We always talk about having Goon A and Goon B in mm-hmm. movies. Right. They are the perfect Goon A and Goon B. Like, oh, for sure. In Pirates of the Caribbean, you got the the ones on the uh, the British colony side. They have Goon A and Goon B. Oh, and right, right, right. Those two minutes that that try and stop. Uh, Jack but you Sparrow. have heard of me the first right, time, right? Yeah. I don't think he's lying. Yeah, those yeah. two goons. And, and then you got, got the, the what's t- it? Skags and Reggetti or whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever they are. And no, no, the mooring line. Goon A and Goon B there. We can get you a new eye. It does splinter something awful. Yeah, <laughs> those guys. So the Wrecking Crew could just be perfect cannon fodder moving forward. Sure, sure. In the MCU. Anytime you just need like faceless henchmen or like, or or not even faceless, like semi-recognizable henchmen. Like, yeah. Yep, we just brought in the Wrecking Crew for sure. So that was it made me smile a lot. And they got ran through very quickly by She-Hulk, which... She's not She-Hulk a lot in the in the show, so, uh, but it's fine though. I got to see them show up, and they had yeah. some magic items, and they did zero damage to her, and then they got tossed appropriately. So yeah, it's that's one of my main problems with this show is that other than the social aspect of being a superhero, she's not really encountering any like real problems with being a She-Hulk. Like, there's no learning curve. There's no, she's just kind of crushing it, which is fine, but it makes for a really boring television series or like superhero story like that it's the reason why superman like is only popular up to a certain age with kids because eventually you just get tired of seeing him win all the time it's like gee bullets don't hurt him he's really awesome at what he does 
Yeah. What are we like? Not what much, am I tuning in for every week? Not much moral wiggle room. Like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's never the moral quandary of like, I have to either save the the room full of puppies or the one child. I can't do both. Like, yeah. No, I mean, I I still like the show though. I mean, I, for what it is, it's it's the, I, she is kind of crushing it a little too well at being a Hulk. Like, there's not enough conflict in her it's just like it's mostly enough i've accepted what the show is now because it showed me what it is it's the wrinkles of her life now that she wants to just move on and because episode one was her like i don't ever there's no need for me to ever be a hulk right and now it's like the whole story arc that we didn't see on screen of bruce banner and the hulk merging into one uh person or one uh body Mm -hmm. as it were one body and mind combined it's kind of just that, just on her own terms. It's like, oh, these are the wrinkles that life's going to throw at you. Sometimes it is necessary to be a Hulk. And guess what? You're going to have to be a Hulk whether you like it or not. And it, it can be to your benefit. So it's just kind of that. And it's not it's not really a superhero show, which I give them credit. We've always said it on the show before that I think a lot of these superhero shows and movies work best when it's a it fits into a genre and it just happens to have superheroes in it. Like sure. Logan being a Western. This really is a court procedural, a comedy, like an Ally McBeal or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, It just happens to have a She-Hulk in it. I mean, it's fine, and it's just not necessarily, I don't think it's like top-tier Marvel. It's it's entertaining, though. Like, It it does have its its shining moments. I think it's a very funny, very snappy show. It's it's definitely written for the, the uh, millennial crowd who are, you know, just everything is sarcasm and everything is, you know, the jokes just not necessarily come like... One right after the other, but like they're very quickly set up and paid off. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's that there's not too many like long-standing running gags or, or or jokes that take the entire episode to pay off. It's it's very much like I don't know Seinfeld Friends kind of thing. You know, a little bit. It's yeah. it, which is fine. Just again, I don't particularly like those shows, so it's not really my flavor of Kool Aid, but. You know, there's only like, I want to say like seven or eight episodes. So, you know, at this point I'm, you know, episode five, there's no reason for me to stop. I might as well just finish eating the fucking cake. Pretty much. That's how I feel. <laughs> Plus we got to get to Daredevil. So they left off on season five with, spoiler alert, but whatever, uh, showing his helmet in the, uh, at the, uh, the fashion designer's place. Oh yeah. The, the guy who's like designing all the, the costumes for yeah. superheroes. Yeah. 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 Which that guy ruled. That, that guy, I enjoyed his character. So, um. Other than that, you know me. I get on these weird kicks, and I I remember about movies that I that I watched at certain points in my life. And there's a movie I saw. Uh, I didn't see it in theaters or anything, but I remember it came out on DVD, and I rented it, and I fucking fell in love with this movie. And then I saw it progressively in rehab, probably like two or three times. <laughs> uh, but it's still a good movie, and I I um I watched it again recently. I've, I've seen it a bunch of times. It's kind of like The Soloist in the fact that it's not really. Like, most people would be like, man, I really got to be in a mood to watch that. But I can just watch the shit. Just if it's on, I'm like, fuck. It's like Blow is the same way. If Blow is on television, it is really hard for me to not watch that movie. <laughs> right. Like, but uh, without further ado, it's the movie Flight. The oh, Robert Zemeckis film. Yeah, Denzel Washington is the... Uh, uh, the pilot, yeah, pilot. I couldn't. I was gonna say sky captain, but I knew that wasn't right. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, yeah, and he inverts the plane in order to like save, like save it from crashing, basically. Not I mean, save it, but to like lessen the impact and like try and save as many lives as he could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, that's the the. Oh, have you ever seen it? Truthfully, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I definitely have seen it. I wasn't very convincing. But. <laughs> 
I think we actually watched it together once and you were drinking. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. But um, no, it's, it's also... Also in news, water, wet. Water <laughs> equals wet, right? Um, but no, I really like that movie, man. Like, in, Only because it, it is, yes, about that, but it's... As somebody who's in recovery and like just so much of... Granted, I've never been a pilot in my life. You know, I'm going to get a little bit kind of pivot, pivot a little bit here, y'all, so bear with me. But as somebody who's in recovery, uh, who's had their struggles with alcohol and alcoholism, and watching it unfold on camera, the way that he he lies and progresses to just spin this web of just bullshit to keep up these appearances mm-hmm. is the most realistic interpretation I've seen it on screen. Yeah. Where it's just like, and at the end of the movie, it's like when he finally is in court and everything like that, and he, he finally says like, He's like the night up to the to the crash. Had you been drinking? Oh yeah, the the, the prosecutor, the DA. Yeah, the, well, the inquis- at, not uh, the it's not in trial, but it's, right, a, the, it's a hearing. Yeah, the inquisitor, or whatever the yeah. fucking technical term is, yeah. asked him like, yeah. Uh, Do you think? Well, one of his this woman that he was having a relationship was one of the the stewardess mm-hmm. on the plane, and she died saving a little boy. Mm-hmm. And there was only two toxicology reports. His wasn't submitted because Don Cheadle is good at his job and right. got, it, got it thrown out. And it was hers. And ultimately what it was is they found these two little mini bottles of liquor. And it was them asking, it was either you or the woman who's dead drank these bottles of liquor. Right. And at that point, he just, in the middle of court, just said, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. He's like, God help me. And I'm like, what? And he just says, God help me. And he said, no, I, I don't think it was her that drank them because I drank it. I drank the night before. Right. I'm. I drank the day of. Hell, I'm drunk right Hell, now. Hell, I'm drunk yep. right now. Yep. And everyone blows up. Oh shit! And they, everyone behind him on his team had gone through so much to fucking done well at their jobs and this and that to try to get all the toxicology reports buried. And it's just like, and just for him to be honest in that moment, and like him later go on as as the movie's wrapping up, he's talking about like. It was at that point that I realized that I had hit my quota of telling lies. Right. It was like right. I had a certain limit and I just could not tell another right, one at right. that point. The bullshit threshold. Yeah, and he said, Boy, I wish it would have came sooner. Just one more one more lie and I might not be sitting here with you fine people today and he's telling it from prison. You know? And it's just that movie gets to me in a weird way of just like watching the progression of his alcoholism, the bullshit which he goes through. Everyone else is trying to help him, and not to get too into it too much, but there's a line in a certain book that I read fairly often. Uh, it starts with the first two letters of the alphabet, or the first letters of the alphabet. Uh, you can usually find it in the front of your phone book. But, um, <laughs> um, but it talks about... Talking about Arn Anderson? Yeah, Double exactly, a. exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it talks about uh, your man being able to get tight at just the right time. And what they mean by that is like, Somebody might be sober for a while, and then it's like, you're like, I promise with solemn vow, like, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this. And they mean it. Right. And then, like, right when this opportunity comes, like, be a job interview, or, like, just don't show up drunk tomorrow for court. Right. And it's like, something in this compulsion of this person. I'm going to fuck this one up. Yeah, you just fuck it up (laughs) at just the right time. It just talks about your man getting tired. Fold like an origami swan. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing what I know about myself and, and some of the bullshit I've been through and put myself through, and watching him like day of and sober for like two weeks, and then he, he you know sneaks in or uh, he goes into the other a journey adjoining hotel room and mm-hmm. he gets into their mini bar yeah. yep. and just throws it all away and like it's 
I really relate to it, not on the scope of like I've never been on trial and shit like that, but just knowing that feeling. Oh, of but like, there was the time you inverted that plane. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, also was best friends with John Goodman. And he was <laughs> Which he's awesome in that fucking John movie. Goodman is good in everything, He's sir. like, the banana man's coming. You, sir, he throws money at uh, Don Cheadle. He's like, give me one cigarette roll out, just the teeny tiniest bit of tobacco, and you dip it in this here cocaine. And he's like... Wait, what? And he's like, God damn it, amateur hour. He's like, now who's funding this little soiree? And everyone else in the room's like, Denzel just did a bunch of coke about to go to trial. Like, like this dude just fucking parties. This is awesome. <laughs> no, so John Goodman. John he's Cheatham, a maniac in that movie, dude. Yeah. He's fucking. He's only in it like three scenes, but. I mean, he captivates. I mean, no, he's fucking he, he takes up a lot of space. And I don't mean like physically as well, but like in that movie, he takes up a lot of fucking space. Yeah. Yeah, when he's on screen, it's his screen. For oh sure. yeah, that's oh, saying yeah. a lot hanging out with Denzel. So, but no, I, I went back and watched that, and um, I also they they play the uh, the song "You Just Keep On Using Me," the Bill Withers song. Sure, they play it's on the soundtrack, and every time I hear that song, which I think Bill Withers is the most, if one of the most, if not the most underrated American singer songwriters in history. Didn't he draw Calvin and Hobbes? Yes, that was oh, okay. Bill Withers. Bill yes. Withers? Okay. Yes. He did that too. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyways. So, weird association with that. I don't know where I was going with that. But, um, yeah, that song's in it. So, now every time I hear that song, I think about that movie and vice versa. So, uh, yeah, man. Fucking love that movie, though, man. Flight. Okay. Flight. Yeah. It's, Robert I, Zemeckis is, in a, is a treasure. The dude did Roger Rabbit, Forrest Gump, like... Just fucking look up his resume. I mean, it's insane. Roger Rabbit, in and of itself, is... is probably should earn him place in, in the Hall of Fame. I mean, the fact that he got Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse on the same screen at the same time together, psh, get out of here. That's, that's fucking incredible. Yeah, he, I mean, the funny part about that movie is is because it was Disney characters and Warner Brother characters, mm-hmm. each one of them had to have an equal amount of screen time. Like, I could not have this. a second more than the other one. Right. And even when Daffy and Donald were doing the dueling pianos... Mm-hmm. They That's a great scene. Yeah, they couldn't have one actually best the other. Like, you know how usually Bugs Bunny will best Daffy by mm-hmm. the end, or mm-hmm. Daffy's own hubris will best himself? They couldn't do that with those two. They had to, like, be evenly matched. Right. Which is fucking hilarious that they actually took the time, like, those were the terms, so. Like, not only did they have to have the same, like, second of screen time, they went down frame by frame to make sure that Mickey and Bugs were on the on screen for exactly the same number of frames, like meticulous kind of thing, like like a, a, a legal nightmare to get done, and it still works. And it's a great movie, it's a great and movie. great voice acting, and Bob Hoskins is great. Uh, you know, Eddie Valiant. It's a great detective noir thriller. Uh, essentially, it's about murder and like adultery and crimes of passion and. and- it spirals out into this whole like cable car conspiracy thing. Like it's fucking great. And then Christopher Lloyd is Which we did not give Judge Doom enough credit on the greatest villain. We should have seated him a little higher personally. Maybe. We tried. Maybe. We tried. That might have been his downfall is that he wasn't seated higher. Yeah. It, 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 I, I think God, who did he go against? I don't no, know. It it's set matter. in stone now. It doesn't That's matter. That's right. It doesn't matter. We can't even discuss it. Yeah, but no, Bob Zemeckis' resume is crazy, man. Like, Castaway, check. Forrest Gump, check. Uh, back man to the, on the Moon. Back to the Future. Back to the Future, like, yeah. Come on, man. Flight, like, get out of here, bro. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Like, just those movies alone. Like, get out of here. Yeah. 
Yeah, flight. Um, how many? Uh, what's your rating on it? I will give it two broken wing flaps. Two broken. Oh, that's a lot of wing that's flaps. A lot of wings. You might not need much more than that. <laughs> you might not. You know, I, I, I don't know exactly how many wing flaps. I do know how, how many wing flaps are on plane, but I would hope at least two. Two. <laughs> Two's a lot. <laughs> Two's a lot. Yeah. No, but flight. Man, I, I absolutely love that movie. Um, but we are going to talk about a little bit of Clerks 3 real quick, but I think first we should take a break and visit with our sponsor. Oh, we have sponsor? We do. Our sponsor is Batgirl, and we will talk to you about that soon. Be right na 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 Nah. <laughs> and thank you for our sponsors, Warner Brothers Batgirl and David Zaslov. Batgirl. When you want to burn down your streaming service for the insurance money, Batgirl is here for you. Because that's ultimately what's happening. Anyways, uh, <laughs> moving on to Clerks 3. You know, I was really looking forward to that one, too. Oh, yeah. Oh. Right. Yeah, apparently the shit was unwatchable, but I don't know. Who knows? Um, anyways, so we went to what we call a Fathom event. Shout out to Regal Cinemas. I hope you never close, even though I know you have some uh, financial issues coming up and it's not looking pretty. Uh, if I had the money to privately own that place, I would just buy it and just show all the great movies that I like. That would be the new how like like new home of Cap City Video Lounge right there. Just yeah, Dunzo. Well, I think Regal as a company is in a lot of financial. They might not bounce back from this COVID thing, so we'll see. Mm, um, I hope so. But we that have a local we have a local Re- uh, Regal Cinemas here in town, and uh, we try to support it as often as we can. Other movies definitely theaters in town definitely have nicer seats. And uh, better sound, and you know, they've kept up with the times, but this one's a little bit old school. It's got the stadium seating, and that's about it. I think it's got one but Dolby the, theater in but it. But to their benefit, like, they are always, like, I don't know if it's a recent thing that they've been trying to do, but they, I mean, they'll show classic movies at, like, random times. The problem is that I never know about it. Like, they, it, it was the anniversary of Jaws recently, and they were having like a two-day event, and I just didn't even know about it. Uh, they they redid or uh, what was it? Uh, Army of Darkness. They reshowed uh, yeah. there recently, and I totally missed that one. It's just like never found out about. But I would love to go watch those on the big screen. You know, there's a lesson in here. It's called Get the Regal Cinemas app. <laughs> Check it once a day. <laughs> but yeah, no point being. We say all that. Uh, they do fathom events there. And we got to go check out, like we did with uh, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. They mm-hmm. did the same thing for Clerks 3. They did a three-night event, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all at 7 p.m. Um, and I and do my job, because that's what I do here. That's my <laughs> half of the bargaining here at What You Been Watching. Um, so yeah, I, I put the word out to Michael, letting him know that Clerks 3 was going to be airing. And the last night it was going to be showing was that Sunday. So we slid in right on time, caught the Sunday 7 o'clock showtime. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we watched it, and we were going to report on it. First impressions, Michael, what did you think about Clerks 3? I think it was a really, really great close to the Clerks saga up until the last, like, ten minutes. Okay. I, I think that it's, it's definitely one of Kevin Smith's more emotionally involved movies. Like, it's, it, he's definitely trying to... Bring out all the feels, especially if you're of the age, like, you know, Generation X now entering middle age and and millennials not far behind and sort of, you know, that that age group that grew up on his movies and and his sort of humor. 
Um, it's sort of coming to terms with them being phased out and, and also coming to grips with their own mortality, which is, you know, a direct reflection of the heart attack that he had, uh, was it like four or five years ago? Mm, like three or four, I think. Three or four, something, okay. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so basically the, the summation of the plot is Randall Graves, who we know from the original Clerks, Clerks 2 and a couple of other, uh, Kevin Smith movies has a heart attack and he decides that he's done wasting time and he's going to make a movie about his life and so he ultimately decides to make the movie Clerks. And so it's very self-referential. Um, there's a lot of callbacks to the original, um, I mean even direct lines of, of I'm not even supposed to be here today and, and Jay and Silent Bob, you know, doing their thing. I mean eventually, yeah, it, it, it it's, it's very meta and it, it, it it's very self-referential, but almost in the best possible way. It just kind of teeters on self-masturbatory a little bit, but I think for the fans of Kevin Smith's work, it's a really, really good, strong finish. Okay. Okay. I, there's parts you said in there I can definitely agree with. There's parts that I'm not so much on. Sure. Okay. Let's uh, get into if, it. If I may, uh, I, I first off, I, I did enjoy the film. I definitely did. I, mm-hmm. I walked out of there not really knowing what to expect. I'm going to be honest with you. When we when I bought the ticket, I will always support Kevin. I, mm-hmm. I like what he does. Um, I like him as a person. And so even if I hate it, I'm still always going to give whatever movie he puts out, I'm going to give it a spin. Sure. At least sure. just to keep up with it. So He's built up enough goodwill or, or faith with you that he could he warrants at least like a singular look. Just, yeah. 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 So, try, it, try it out. Yeah, pretty much. So I I saw a reboot, um, and I thought there was parts of Jan Silent Bob reboot that had a lot of heart to it. But I got to be honest with you, I was not. I didn't think it was a very good movie. I think I I enjoyed it because I'm a Kevin Smith fan. Sure. But if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have enjoyed it whatsoever. Personally. That being said, when we bought the tickets for Clerks Three, I was a little reluctant. Again, I know I'm going to go buy it, but I thought that maybe this might be the movie that I was like done with Kevin Smith as an artist sure. and that he might evolve into like a novelty act for me. Again, not going to stop supporting. I'm not going to stop showing love for my guy, but like to the point where it's like, man, these aren't good. Like sure. just being honest, sure. that was that was my fear. If yeah. I'm just being all the cards on the table. Thank goodness that wasn't the outcome. I actually really did enjoy the movie. Um it's interesting to see how much the Clerks franchise has pivoted from where it started um, being a very humble, independent thing to where it is now. Um, I will say this, though. Um, I think it was his most honest movie, uh, I, I, outside of maybe like Chasing Amy, because it's very sure biographical in a weird way, but at least with Chasing Amy, he did it. He was nice enough to not have told you the story 40 times before. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, could, um, I see that for sure. But... Here's the thing, though, man. It's I, I wish that I almost knew nothing about Kevin Smith. I think I would have enjoyed the film more. Because I do listen to the podcast, and he is a little bit of a... And I don't mean this in a mean way. He he loves to talk. He's an sure. auteur, for sure. Yeah. And um, Hey, that made a run. I know. That's what I do, man. Um, You're a poet. You didn't even know it, Simon yeah. Bob. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he's told the story of his heart attack... All the surrounding... I've heard all of the stories that he wrote into this movie right. several times. Right, right. And after Jay and Silent Bob reboot, I thought that was like enough of... That was 
the whole thing was a giant wink at the camera and was very masturbatory. Jay and Silent Bob. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was to the point of like, dude, I love you and I support you. I do not need another meta commentary. I, I scratched that itch with you on Jay and Silent Bob mm-hmm. reboot. I don't need it again for this one. I, I, and, I could see that. Yeah, for sure. And so I was almost kind of going to wash the movie off because it was like, it was nice to see them like kind of pay reverence to clerks, but they were doing it. Some parts of it were literally shot for shot, and it was nice yes. to see like how the boys have aged behind the counter. It is a very the theme of the movie is coming to terms with these things, and and having the visual comparison, like knowing of what how young they used to be back then, and looking at them now was kind of a harsh reality because I've a, grown that age too. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's a it's yeah. a little unsettling in terms of it's it's definitely an in your face reminder of like. Dante and Randall look their age and they're not, you know, 22 year old. And, and, and there, there's a little aspect of having the, the pithy, cute, quick conversations used to be hip and trendy when you were 22. Now it's just a little bit sad. It's a little bit, um, there's been zero growth in terms of, of developing as a person. Like they're, but in a weird way, like, it's almost kind of beautiful because, like, those are the conversations that I still, like, the conversation that you and I are having right now is the conversation that I want to be having with you when we're 90 or right. 110 or 210. Like, I, I hope that that never goes away. So, in a weird way, it's this, it's this tragic comedy of, of coming to, to grips with your own age and yet never really growing up. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, I mean, definitely, and I, I would definitely let's circle back to that point. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to do No, no, you're good, you're good. Because um, that, that's all stuff, and we're definitely going to circle back to that here in just a second. But just to wrap up what I was saying, um, not to be like that, but um, it bees like that. <laughs> um, it was kind of a harsh reality, and it was very meta up to that point. I was watching them remake Clerks with the stories I've heard him tell about mm-hmm. Clerks. Mm-hmm. And all the stories I've heard him tell about his heart attack. And it was beat for beat, like, all right, Kevin, like, right. I'm just watching a visual story of you telling me the things you've already told me. Right, right. And at a certain point in the movie, um, Dante, and I think this is maybe where me and you differ, and this is why I wanted to, to finish up on the point where we might pivot differently, is um, at one point, Dante, they're, they're, making, they're making Clerks in Clerks 3, all right, and um, Randall is the director, Dante's a producer, and they're going through one of these scenes that they did in the original Clerks. And at that point, they it's hard to it's hard to describe this, but Dante breaks character of the Dante that he's filming. And he he's he becomes the Dante that we know in Clerks 3. So he breaks he's not acting anymore. Right. He he stops being it's difficult because in the movie his his character's name is also named Dante, and it's Dante playing himself. So yeah. he stops being Dante the Actor. The actor, or, or stops being Dante the character and becomes Dante the real person as, we as know we're watching. Yes, him. yes, that's a good way to describe it. And he looks at Randall, and they have this huge falling out. And at that point, I had this giant sigh of relief. It was like, oh, thank you, right? Because I, I couldn't go. Just I would have. I was losing my interest in the sense of like. I've heard all of these jokes before. And I'm not saying they're not good jokes, but they were funny the first time I heard sure, them. Sure, sure. And now I'm just seeing them written in a different way. And it was like, man, like... Yeah. Like, this was great the first time I saw it when it was called Clerks. Yeah, and also, when you told me the story on the podcast that I've heard you say for years right, now. Right, right. And then he did something meta 
that I really appreciated that was new, at least. It was like, oh, a breath of fresh air. And it was ultimately Dante telling Randall to shut the fuck up about your heart attack. Like, you're not the only one. Like, And if you know anything about Kevin Smith, this whole thing was like with Jay and Silent Bob reboot. He had a fuck ton of cameos in it because he kind of like jokingly like kind of tongue-in-cheek like guilt-tripped people into right. coming in they're like dude i'm glad you're i'm glad you're still alive like hey let's i'll come right. down and, and shoot a scene with you yeah right. like he would dovetail like their conversation like oh man i'm so glad you're doing okay he's like yeah i'm doing great in fact i'm shooting a movie do you go on you guys want to come down to new orleans for like a day. two days yeah yeah and you were like well i mean he's like come on i just had a heart attack yeah so and it was kind of him Telling himself like at Dante through the the lens of Dante, like, dude, shut the fuck up right, about it. Right, like, right. it's not all about you. Right. Like, and I thought that was one of the most honest moments I've seen. To pivot from where it was just minutes ago to where it went there was just I was like, bravo, sure, bravo, and sure. it was that it got my attention invested back in where I was with the the boys behind the counter. So, I mean, ultimately, the the crux of the movie turns into Randall realizes like he sets out to do this whole thing to tell his like life story and like get his voice out there and he sort of has this moment of realization that it's not necessarily his voice it's about the voice of all the people around him who influenced that voice yeah um you know Jay Silent Bob Dante uh uh what's his name Trevor Furman's character um uh, Elias. Elias, thank you. I could not... I'm yeah, going to kill myself for that one later. Yeah, you're good. Uh, you know, uh, so yeah, it, it's 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 this almost really weird meta, like the artist realizing his own influences and, and, and coming to grips with like, oh, my voice is so much everyone else's voice around me rather than like, it's not necessarily my story. It's the story of how these people have turned me into what I am. Right. Right. Yeah, I um I think that's that's very much so it. And like you were saying earlier about like the whole Gen X or like Randall was very much so like back in the day and, and people can attest to this where it's like he was always the smartest person in the room. Oh yeah. And this and that and the third. And there's there's this beautiful monologue that um Brian O'Halloran delivers as he breaks the character the character of Dante and becomes Dante as we know him. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that like you you sit there and think, and you're writing this movie about yourself. And yes, we all know, we've all heard about your fucking movie. Trust me, you've made it very clear that this is your story. And he's like, but you've done nothing to live a life. Only thing that makes you cool is you're the, the fastest, the quirkiest. Like, you're a fucking 50-year-old man now. Like, that shit's not cute right, anymore. Right. All you've done is watch other people live their life, and you sit there and you mock it. Right. And yep. that, when he said that, was like, oh, shit. Like... All these people that, you know, like like the Randalls of the world, when you watch these movies and you're like, oh, that's Man, that was stupid. That was dumb. I don't... Or, or not just that. I just mean like the character of Randall when you're just like, oh, you like him because he's the fast... He's an asshole and he's the... Sure. Sh- and he says what's on his mind and you're like, oh, shit, that's not a good quality. To do that right. for 30 years is fucking draining. Like... Fucking tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, you've been, a, you've been an asshole this whole time, dude, and it's all about you, you know? Imagine how I feel building my whole life off the concept of Randall, and now being like, oh, I've wasted everything. My youth is gone. It's me with the past, bro. Trust me, I get it. That's why when Step Brothers came out, I'm like, oh, it's me, fuck. Yeah, so a bit of a harsh reality. Right. Uh, but not... The part is that uh, also Rosario Dawson's in the movie, uh, but she 
we find out has died in a horrible car wreck. Yeah. Which it, this is when it really like I, I Angie is not. I think she's seen Clerks once. She was saying uh-huh. like, maybe not even in its entirety. But she actually still enjoyed the movie because she was like it was a lot more emotional than I thought. Like I cried mm-hmm. over it. But there's a scene where you find out that Rosario Dawson's character, while pregnant, died in a car wreck. Who was engaged to uh, married to Dante? To Dante. Yeah, Dante. married to Dante briefly or whatever. And he has this whole scene about like, yeah, you had your heart attack and you got to live on, and my my life died in a car crash. Boom. That's life for you. Fuck you. Oh, yeah, and by the way, fuck you again. My life came to a screeching halt. Right. So here we are making your fucking movie, and you just kind of realize, like, it made me look at my own selfishness sometimes, and I think we all are guilty of this. Sure. Of being able to not realize, because we're so close to it, about looking at the me, me, me of it all, and it's, and it's ego in a sense of the fact of, like, not like, oh, I am the best or whatever, but just it's that shit that stands in our way that we can't see, and then once the second we look at it through the lens of someone else's pain, we're like, "Oh fuck!" Right. I've been really inconsiderate. Right. Right. Like, the the pain that I'm feeling on on the grand scale of things is minimal compared to the person standing right next to me. Right. Right. So it was. It kind of got me, man. I welled up a little bit when yeah. he, when he talked about the car crash, and he goes, "Oh, and here's life. Fuck you." And then he pauses for a second and goes, and fuck you again. And he just said it. It was a really good monologue. And I I was kind of, the acting, it was like everyone was really comfortable with the characters, but there wasn't a lot for them to chew on except being themselves. Sure. And Brian O'Halloran knocked it out of the park in that moment. Yeah. So big shout out to him on that yeah, one. Yeah, he, he definitely brought a well of emotion to that scene. Just a side tangent, it, it reminds me of, uh, you were talking about, you know, like, my, you know, my life ended, end of story, done, finito. There's a scene in Sandman, and not to give too much away, but spoiler alert, uh, where he goes and sees his sister, Death, and yes. just spends the day with her. And there's a scene where, I mean, literally, she takes a baby. Like, she, she goes and visits this house, and the mom's all, oh, let me get you a bottle. She goes to the next room, and then Death steps in, and literally just picks up the kid and is like, like, she's having a full-on conversation with the kid, like, looking at him, like, and the kid's cooing and, and you know, kind of mumble-crying a little bit. And she's just talking to him, like, yep, I know. That's all you get, kid. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. You ready to go? And she fucking takes him away, man. And, like, it's, like, that's it. And, like, Dream is sitting there in the, in the hallway just bewildered by this and just watching, like this thing happen it's like yeah sometimes thems be the breaks and your pain is minimal as fuck in in that instance yeah man you know? there's a scene in the comic books as well and this is one we were going to talk about we teased it many episodes ago if you, if you want to go back and listen um <laughs> this but, is what we call the payoff <laughs> yeah yeah and this is but it's one of the most beautiful lines in terms of death and it talks in in the comic book sandman and ironically enough kevin smith has talked about this on his podcast mm-hmm. when he was uh, on the operating table, getting the, uh, the balloon in his heart to the open stint, up the yeah. valve. Yeah. Um, and it's this old man, and he's getting mad at death, and he's like, I, I waged for, I, I, worked, I went to the war, and I didn't die there, and I watched all my friends die, and I did all the, that was right, and I was this person, and I lived till 80, and like... I was a good father, I was a, I was a father, hard worker, I was, yeah. Didn't, never got the reward I was due, like, what the fuck is this about? And you take this child, and you kill, like, it makes no sense. And death looks at him and says... You got the same thing that everyone else got. You got a lifetime. Right. 
you got a chance. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, holy shit, man. Right, so, right, right. Yeah, anyways, um, it, it is very much so in the same spirit of that, of like, oh, shit. And yeah. Um, so I'm going to field you some questions, sir. Sure, About your, your uh, unless there's something you wanted to directly talk about before we... Um, other than, I, I don't want to give away the ending, but it's, to me, that the ending was the weakest part. It just, it, it reeked of... I felt like Ke- like Kevin was trying to shoehorn in some sense of finality. Oh, fuck it, let's spoil it. Let's do it. So basically, because I want to talk about it. At, at the at the end of the movie, uh, Randall's had his heart attack. He survives. He goes to write his own movie, and then in the middle of filming, Dante also has a heart attack. And the final scene is Randall coming to show. Uh, Dante, while he's in the hospital, he sneaks in and, and he's all like hooked up to tubes and whatever, and he shows him the final cut of the movie, and then Dante dies, and and we're left with like ghost Dante for the rest of the movie, for the last like ten minutes, and it just I don't know it. It seemed like he didn't know how to end it other than with the death of Dante or like he had that so directly in his mind that that was how it was going to end that he forced himself into it. And I'm not saying that I wanted the happy go lucky of like, and Dante and Randall rode off into the sunset and were best friends forever. But it did seem a little, little hacky, a a, a little, I don't know. He, I, I felt like he didn't, he didn't know how else to finish it but with the death of one of the characters and so he was just like, well, it's got to be Dante because we've followed him for the past two movies so now essentially it's Randall's story. So, I, I get that. I, I don't know if it was hacky. I definitely think it was abrupt. Um, the only thing I'll say about it that kind of made me a little bit more okay with it is um, originally, I guess, in the original draft of the first Clerks, Mm-hmm. He was going to. It was going to end with Dante being shot in an armed robbery at the quick stop. Right. Which and, they address in the movie. That's one of the scenes yeah, that gets one, cut, quote unquote. Yeah, but th- what they don't tell you is that they have revised that due to st- uh, studio notes. Mm-hmm. The studio is like, you can't kill him. You can't kill him. You can't kill him. Like it. It's a crap. It's a crap movie. Otherwise, like you right. can't do it. You gotta. You gotta change the ending. And so, with that being said, with this truly being an independent film, you know, once again, he's coming back to that root of sure. like, I do this for the people, the people fund this. Um, it was, it must have been kind of liberating in the sense of like, not, oh, I always get what I want, I always wanted to kill Dante. Right. But the idea of like, no one is going to tell me how I can and cannot end this. And sure. This to me sure. is the most logical. So maybe I think it is, in, once again, here goes the word, meta in that sense of it being a little bit liberating of like, there will be no notes, there will be no nothing, this is what, love it or hate it, I'm going to do. So it kind of made me a little bit more okay with it in that weird way, but it was it was abrupt and it did feel a little like, it pivoted very quickly from like, we got this great monologue sure. to right. he drops dead. Right, like, right, oh, right, 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 right. This really touching, endearing moment of, you know, Randall basically is telling Dante, like, you know, you're my brother, you're my best friend, and basically, like, I never realized that I wasn't doing this just for me, I was doing this for us, and I don't know how to live my life without you, and then just like, nah, we're good. But maybe that's the point as well, sure, is that sure, it can sure. be abrupt and we truly never know. Like, that's why I always tell you at the end, like, man, go go watch a movie, go, go talk movie. about it with somebody you love, man. Like, yeah. this shit is important to us, though. So maybe that was his point in a weird way. Sure. Uh, is to show the, like, 
the finality of it. Right. Like, like you don't know how many days you got left, like yourself or with the people around you. Right. So make the fucking most of it. And I get it. I get it. Again, I think it's just it's a little it's a little hackneyed in yeah. order to, to 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 make that point. Uh, yeah, it's 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 something that they reiterate time and time and time again, and I think that that point was already kind of made, and so to do it to Dante at the very end just seemed a little superfluous, in my opinion. Um, I get what he what he was going for, but again, I think that you had already stated that pretty well, pretty succinctly. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I can't really argue that fact. Yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from on that that position. So. Um, so my quick question, as as I've told y'all before, Michael's been the father of my game on a lot of shit, especially this whole Kevin Smith thing. So I wanted to just kind of ask you, uh, just some basic and just kind of tee up here. Did you think that it was too meta again? Or or, or did you, because I think like you seem to prefer the more meta aspects of it. Like well, you, you seem to maybe have enjoyed it before the, the, the pivot, which I talked about earlier. Would sure. you say that's fair? Or? Yeah, yeah, I... I there, there's definitely aspects of the meta that I appreciate. Like I, 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 I like the idea of him making a movie about his idea to make a movie. I think that that works. But like you said earlier, I, I, I do think that if I wasn't such a big Kevin Smith fan and I'm, I wasn't such a like avid consumer of everything he does, that I might have enjoyed the movie a little bit more because. There definitely was the aspect of like, oh, I know this story. I know where this is going to go because he said it on, you know, one of his talking tours or, or it, his blog that he wrote or whatever. You know, like there, there was there, there wasn't a story in here that I hadn't already known the ending of. Right. He's so. a lot like us and he'll we don't do it as much on microphone. But like Michael and I will tell each other the same stories 40 <laughs> and 50 times right. sometimes just because they're funny stories to us. So we'll right. Yeah, we right, repeat them right, a lot. Right, right, I'm sure you guys right. picked up on some of them. <laughs> um, but no, I, that was my second thing I was going to ask you about is like the whole I understand that, you, you know, you're a writer. They always talk about write what you know, mm-hmm. like Kevin Smith at this point, I understand that's his comfort zone. And I think with stuff that like. I guess part of me kind of misses, um, for lack of a better word, like the old Kevin Smith. Like, dogma, you can't really write what you know. It's just simply a crisis of faith. Chasing Amy is a little bit, and I guess he kind of, well, maybe he does. He definitely writes what he knows. Do you think that it's a little too played out in this scenario in the sense of also, like, Jay and Silent Bob strike back was one thing. And sure. then he redid that again in Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Sure. Before that, he also did that with his Hitman series. Where or a Hit Girl series, where right. Hit Girl goes to stop the movie being made of the Hit Girl franchise, sure, sure, and it's like, sure. do you think that this scenario of him writing again, Clerks, for him to shoot Clerks again, is a little bit played out, or what, well, what do you what do you think about it, writing what you know? It yes and no. It so like even the plot of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is taken directly from a comic book that Kevin Smith himself wrote, where. Jay and Silent Bob go on a road trip to, like, there, there's certain elements that they bring, like the whole, like, Planet of the Apes thing, like, where they, they go to steal Suzanne, the orangutan, like, that whole sequence of, like, only those as super smart as I will be right. left to cry. Right. <laughs> like, that was ripped directly from this this road trip movie, or, or this road trip comic where they're going to, sh- it's, the, it's the story between... Chasing Amy and Dogma, where they're going to Shermer, Illinois, to go 
to John Hughesville or whatever. Oh, yeah. um, so yes, it's again, it's it's very meta in terms of he he is very self-referential, and I think it's it's a little bit of the Ouroboros. It's it's the snake eating its own tail at this point. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. If I wasn't as big a fan of Kevin Smith, I think I would probably... I. But see, I don't know. I don't know that I would get more out of it because to me, the joy is in hearing the the retelling of a familiar tale. Like, oh, he's going to tell about the heart attack again. And oh, this is the time when Jay was doing something stupid when he was on heroin. Like, so I don't know. I, it, that, that's a difficult question. Yes, it is very meta. And I think the best parts of that are when he is referencing his own history as far as like clerks being made by Rand, you know, like Randall making the movie clerks. It, it works less when he tries to tie in the auxiliary things from his life. Okay. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does. When he shoehorns in other things that don't really have to do with the making of clerks or well sure like like a perfect example of that is is yoga hosers where i mean arguably probably it, at least in my opinion his worst movie i would definitely agree with that but the the problem with that movie is that it's all references from his podcast and from his blogs and from his like his 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 video recordings and like side notes and director's commentary so it's all it's just this amalgamation of just random shit that he's always wanted to see or talked about and just kind of shoehorned into a movie. So when when Kevin Smith gets too referential, that would be the result is yoga hosers, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't end well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess my my next question is um I, I would say that I know he started smoking weed at a certain point. Yes. And I know that so he was a big cigarette smoker, clerks because um, he said he was so Clerks, stressed. Small rats. Clerks, small rats, chasing, chasing Amy, Amy, Dogma, mm-hmm. and uh, Strike Back. He was a cigarette smoker. He right. didn't even start smoking weed until he did. Uh, well, he let's see. He did the Jersey trilogy. Like he smoked weed, but he wasn't like he was he like an occasional weed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It wasn't until Zach and Miri make a porno they that he worked, worked with Seth, Seth Rogen. Yeah, and where he like and he, I'm not telling see you know stories outside of school. Like he's he's said this many times. Like. He became a full-blown pothead at that point. Yeah. So I guess my, my question is, so he's got the Jersey trilogy, and then he pivoted and did things like uh, Jersey Girl mm-hmm. and some other stuff, and then he kind of went back to it. And then so there's these chapters. Do you think that this is like his release of Clerk Street? Do you think this is like his natural next maturation as a filmmaker? Do you think, because he has definitely, if you look at his career, there's definite chapters. Like Sure, sure. Uh, Dogma was the end of one. And then he kind of went back to the silliness with Strike Back, but in between that, he did some other things. Like, well, yeah, he had his experimental phase with uh, Red State and Tusk and Yoga Hosers yeah. and all that good stuff. And then yeah. he kind of went back to the well a little bit with Reboot. Well, and then he he, he directed a lot of TV stuff and, yeah. and series stuff. Uh, and then now he's sort of revisiting his original world of, of Clerks, yeah. But yeah, but how do you feel about his maturation as a filmmaker? Because, again, I was almost to the point of, like, still supporting the guy, but you're kind of a novelty now but I have a second I'm hoping for maybe another renaissance of the man. I mean I, I will never deny that Kevin Smith is a little bit how do I put this? He's, he depends a little bit too much on his own lore. Like I, I think that there, there's not many critics or, or, or film analysts that would deny that. He definitely depends way 
way too much upon his own lore and his own um, storytelling method. But has he matured? Yeah, yeah. I think he's gone through a lot of stuff. I'm actually a really big fan of his experimental phase where he went through, uh, you know, Tusk and, and Red State and even to a lesser degree Yoga Hosers. I mean, say what you want, but he, you know, he's, al- he's always said that he wanted to make a movie that his 14-year-old daughter would enjoy watching with him. And I think he did that. It helps that she's in the movie, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I think that to him... For better or worse, Clerks 3 is a natural closure to his... To, to, it's a natural closure to his film style of that genre. Like, I, I don't necessarily think we'll ever see something like Clerks or Clerks 2 from him again. Like, I think, for the most part, he might... It sounds like he's willing to leave Jay and Silent Bob, maybe not behind, but just... Not as the focus, you know. He did a good job of balancing them in this movie, I think, also. He didn't overuse them. They just had a bunch of time. Mm -hmm. He'll tell you at the end of the movie, but they did have a whole movie to themselves. So I will say that one of the funniest scenes was, so in the movie Clerks, there's the quick stop, and then there's the RST video, which is the video rental service place that's right next door. In, In Clerks 3, Jay and Silent Bob have bought that and turned it into... RST THC. So it's a weed sales store. So, but they, they keep doing the deals out in front. They, they like underhanded, like secret like same time. Shit. I don't know you. Right, same right, right. Time. Like, because all they know how to be is just dirt weed merchants. <laughs> right. Like, never mind the fact that it's legal. <coughs> never mind the fact that it's legal in Jersey and they like have licensure and, and complete like control over it. Like, they're still like, the scene opens with one of their customers coming out from the store, looking at them leaning on the wall and being like, do you guys work here? Are you guys open? They're like, yeah, man, what you want? I mean, snoochie boochies and a couple of snoogans. Like, all right, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. <laughs> and they go in the corner and do their little like underhanded shit. Like, and it goes on for, I don't know, maybe th- three to five minutes, but Less, yeah, about yeah, a couple minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it just, it's hysterical. It. All they know how to be is grimy and underhanded. Right. Right. That's how we did it in the nineties, son. <laughs> yeah. That shit made me laugh. Um, yeah, no, I, I, so like shit like that where it's self-referential, like, like, yes, he's making fun of like, I'm a nineties director and I have no idea how to operate in the, in the new millennium. Sure, that type of meta stuff I love. But. Yeah, and I'm with you on that. Um, so that being said, where do you rank it amongst the Kevin Smith movies? Mm, I would put it fair to Midland. Uh, not definitely not his best work, but for sure not his worst by a long shot. Yeah, I think we would both agree. Yoga Hosers is probably the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to me, I'll, I'll say my my favorite of his movies is Mallrats. Sure. Just because I've seen it's it's the biggest nostalgia kick. I think it's his funniest. Maybe that or Strike Back is pretty fucking funny too. Right, right, right. Um, but I think Mallrats is pretty funny. I think his best work is Dogma though. Uh, Dogma, I would say. Really? Is, yeah, I think Dogma is so? a really good movie. Um, it, it's wholly unique. It's like I've never uh, seen a wholly unique. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> but it's uh, I've never seen anything quite like that. Sure. And as silly as it is, it also is very poignant and um, mm-hmm. is very much so a crisis of faith movie. Yes. Um, yeah, and it was interesting. Like the, 
I don't. They explain just enough of what's going on in the movie to be like, hey, these have these angels, or if they get through this thing, like, sure, they they set up the rules of like, here's the parameters of yeah of, of the world we're working in, and as long as everybody adheres to this, or, or as long as everybody in the audience is ready to accept this set of rules, the movie works. Yeah, and like, there's a shit demon, so there's funny stuff in it too, sure. and like, yeah, I think Dogma might be his best work. Um, Chasing Amy's really good too. It didn't age as well. I, that movie was considered like really progressive when it came out, and now you look at it with a modern lens, and you're like, "Oh, it's a lesbian that needs a man to save her." Like, right. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. But at the time, it was it was very honest. Well, because at the time, it was like it it raised a lot of questions that needed to be answered at the time. I think it doesn't necessarily work now. But I don't fault him for that. No. It's the, he can't be he can't be faulted for making the best movie he could at the time. Yeah. Like the fact that times have changed and that movie doesn't keep pace, not his fault. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I think this movie, Clerks Three, might be his most one of his most honest films. Sure. I really do believe that. It's it's very like like I said, when he calls himself out about like, hey man, shut the fuck up. It's not your like I thought that was very he showed a lot of vulnerability on that. And sure. I, I respect I respect somebody for taking a swing and being vulnerable, even if because this is I mean like this is the biggest thing, man. Like as somebody, I don't create things to the level that he does. Podcast wise, yes, we will be gigantic, and we thank you for that. Because, coming for you, Kevin Smith. Yeah, no, not like that. But um, <laughs> but like, man, it's it's tough to put yourself out there, man. Like to take a swing and just have knowing that people are going to shit on. Mm-hmm. We've already had people shit on this podcast. Like, oh, of course, yeah. and it's it is what it is. But like. Like, fuck you, man. Go create something. And the right, fact that he right. can be that vulnerable, knowing that he doesn't have the juice when it comes to... He was a golden boy for a while in Hollywood. Sure. After Clerks, he had a lot of juice. Sure, sure, sure. And to, to not quite have that pull like he did and still be this vulnerable, I have a lot of respect for that. So. I mean, I, I would argue that he has a different kind of juice now. Like, he's he's proven himself to be somebody... I that mean, he, critically. Like, sure, sure, critically. sure. Right, right. Critically. Like, I, I think... Within the business, he's proven himself to be someone who has longevity and someone who has, if you can, if you can get him interested in the thing that you want him to do, he is going to be as passionate as fuck as anyone else will be. Right. I mean, probably even more so. I mean, he's a promotion machine, so you don't have to worry about like people not knowing what the movie you're you're making is. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. So where yeah, so where would you rank it? Where would I you rank said, it? Well, I know you said in the middle, but like, what would you think are? Well, what's your your favorite, and what do you think is the best Kevin Smith movie? I have not seen Red State. I know you always tell me I got to see it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll skip that conversation. Red State to me is probably, I think maybe his third best movie, just because it is so different than anything he's ever done. Um, I honestly, I think Clerks might be his best movie, just because it is an amateur, not amateur. It was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but. An, an, an amateur auteur taking big swings and like really putting his voice on on cinema and sort of saying like this is this is my stance this is the thing I'm going to talk about it's just stupid nerd shit and the things that excite me which is basically just every YouTube video right now so it's an important movie, Clerks. Yeah, man. Like yeah. whether you love it or hate it, I know it didn't light up numbers at the box office, but like the movie's got legs and it's sure, sure. it's in the uh, National Archive for a reason. It's an important Fuck, movie, man. Yes, it is. Thank you. Um, 
Mallrats might be number two, but that's for more personal reasons than anything else. Um, honestly, I would put uh, Red State right just barely above uh, Chasing Amy. Or, uh, I'm sorry, above Dogma. Chasing Amy a little bit lower, just again, because it does it hasn't held up as well during the during the years. Um, then Jersey Girl. No, no. <laughs> I I like Jersey Girl. Jersey Girl's a good movie. It it took a long time to get to the point and but Ben Affleck is amazing in that yeah, movie. Yeah, he's really good in that he's movie. He's like really, really underrated performance. There's a scene where he literally curses out his daughter like, You took everything from me, you little bitch, and I just want my life back and it's like, Oh shit. Can you imagine a parent talking to their fucking kid like that? Like that's some real emotion right there. Yeah. Uh I would put it. Tusk is maybe somewhere floating in the middle. Um, it's it's really David Cronenberg, body horror, dysmorphia kind of thing. But I love it just because the dialogue I, is great. I like Tusk, too. It's a weird and movie. Ju- it is a weird-ass movie. It is a weird-ass movie. Do you want to see Justin Long get turned into a walrus? Have I got a movie for you? Yeah, yeah. With a lot of dialogue in between? Yeah. Uh, yeah, then maybe reboot... I'm sorry. Let's uh, Clerks 2, again, that's floating somewhere in the middle. It's the, the problem with Clerks 2 is it's just kind of forgettable. There's nothing really that stands out with it. It's sort of, it, it very much is the, sec, the, the middle chapter of a, of a story. Um, maybe I would put that fifth or sixth on the line. Um, let's see. Then Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Reboot would probably be right behind that, only just because you have to. It's so self-referential to the first movie. Yeah. Yeah, my low two would probably be Yoga Hosers and uh, Jersey Girl. That's fair. I can't argue with that list too much. Yeah. I'll just also. Oh, Cop Out. That was another big one. Yeah. He didn't really. He didn't write that. Yeah, that was. That wasn't necessarily. Oh, Zack and Mirror make a porno. I like that. Oh, oh, you know what? That's pretty high up. I like that movie. You know, that's like. That's like upper mid card. Yeah, that's, I, I yeah. That. That, that's like the Dolph Ziggler of, of <laughs> nice. Kevin Smith movies. Yeah, I will say just before uh, to bring it back to Clerks Three real quick. It it is very tonally different from the other two. That was one thing I did walk away missing was like the first one had like the Death Star scene where sure. he talk. It's him talking about movies, uh, uh, Randall and Dante, and then like in Clerks Two, it was like the whole. Lord of the Rings scene where it's sure. like where he was ripping on movies and making a point about other films. Right. And this movie, the only thing that he talked about was Clerks. Yeah. And it was like, God damn it, like I wanna right. kinda like when that's like yeah. his whole thing, man. Right, right, right. Just give me one scene of it. Right, right. All he did was just do that but with clerks. And it's like, man, make fun of something, damn it. Make fun of Transformers or something. <laughs> I don't know. Pick something, whatever. Um so cool, yeah, Clerks, uh, final review. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, I, I dug it. I'd give it a uh, one salsa shark. <laughs> I was gonna give it three and a quarter sticks of Chuli's gum. Okay, I'll give it thirty-four. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you better change that number right, goddamn now. Thirty-seven something. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, no, I dug it though, man. Uh, recommend it. It'll probably be on video streaming here soon. Yeah, it's so. it's not going to change your mind about Kevin Smith, but if you're a Kevin Smith fan or or any type of completionist, you'll feel pretty satisfied walking away from it. I guess. Uh, on that note, go see a movie and uh, talk about it with somebody that you love. Later on. Happy birthday, my guy.
Thank you, brother.